Uh, my name is Todd Berkey. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Uh, Brian sends his regrets. Uh, his family, his parents had some unexpected health issues show up this week. He's been serving them and, and helping them, and so he asked if I'd be willing to to come and bear actually some bad news with you this morning, because we're in Romans, and it starts, it's the best news ever, but we're on week three of kind of the rough stuff. Uh, and so it's just really, it's a joy and an honor to, to be here with you. And as I was thinking about our time together, I'm just wondering this. Uh, I hope we all have this. Do we have a friend who just knows you really, really well? Like, like they know how you think. They know what you're thinking before you do. Like, they know how you're going to respond. I hope all of us have at least one person who is like uh, that in our lives. Uh, for me, growing up, uh, my childhood best friend, Brian Spence, um, known him since first grade. We had a split second and third grade class together. Like, I've known him for a very long time, and he knows me. He knows how I think, how I respond. Uh, he knows how I'm wired. And that power can be used for good and bad. Uh, just a, a few examples of this. Uh, as I think about this, you know, you're like, wow, this is pretty exciting. Um, I'm a competitive person. Brian's a competitive person. Brian's a great athlete. And so uh, as we've aged, our sports have changed. But we had the little pop-a-shot, little two-basket pop-a-shot. And uh, competitiveness comes out. Brian naturally is a better shooter than I am, but I'm a rhythm shooter, and he knows this about myself. Now, slight boasting here, if I could have turned pro in this, I would have. Like, I had it calculated out that you have three balls is perfect, the left side works better, so I learned to shoot left-handed because I could grab better with the right hand, and we would, I would just, this was it. There was three balls, nonstop. I, I knew how it went through the hoop, where the ball was going to go. It was crazy. But Brian and I, we would compete. And he knows, I'm a rhythm guy. And he could see all of a sudden, oh no, Todd's in the rhythm. So what would he do, of course? How do I get Todd out of rhythm? So he would just start saying things like, oh no, Todd's getting in the rhythm. I hope he doesn't lose it. Like, be quiet. Oh, that ball rolled a little much further to the right than he thought. Oh no. So he would just drop these things that would, ah, using them for bad. But he also uses it. For good. I was up in Michigan visiting him and uh, woke up one morning. And he said, hey, we should get donuts. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. Now, before I ever said anything, I just started thinking, I'm like, oh, Dunkin' Donuts, best donuts. That's where we're going to go. So I just fought that. And he's like, you know, Dunkin' Donuts are good, but I've been looking around. There's a better donut. Better donut? I'm thinking, what makes it better? I didn't even have to ask the question. He's like, I found this place. They, they hand make them. It's run by a family. Like, you watch the whole operation. It's out in an orchard. It's, it's just incredible. You can choose your donut flavor, and then, then they glaze it right there, different glaze, and they have a blueberry maple. It's amazing. Of course, now I'm like, well, that sounds expensive. I didn't even get to voice that. He's like, and you know what? Their prices are really reasonable. And so the next thing I know, we were hopped in the car. Off we go. Um, and we went to Wassum Farms. So if you're ever in Ann Arbor, Michigan, look up Wassum Farms. Go out to this apple orchard and enjoy one of the greatest donuts ever. Um, so, but he knew. He knew right away what objections. I never said anything. He just boom, 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 because he knew me really, really well. And I share that with you as we are in the book of Romans. Paul is writing to this, this, this group, this church that's filled with both Jew and Gentile. 
And it, the whole thing is going to be about just the best news ever, great theology that's going through there. And he started off talking about those rebellious ones, right? And then he began to pivot a little bit to talk about self-righteous last week. And now we're going to lean into that a little bit more. He's going to talk specifically to the, the Jewish uh, believers who were there. And Paul, as he's writing, we're going to see he's going to go ahead and like Brian did to me, go like, I know what objections you're going to have. I know what excuses you're going to have. I know how you're going to respond. And I'm going to go ahead and meet those off. Boom, 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 boom. He knows them. How do we know that he understands how they think? Uh, and you can look several different places, but in Acts 22, Paul's talking. He says, hey, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia. But brought up in this city, in Jerusalem, I was educated under Gamil, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for the God, just as you all are today. You know me. You know that when it came to the law, he would say, uh, later in one of his writings, he would say that, man, I'm blameless. Like, I understand how you're thinking and how you're responding uh, to the bad news that we're all guilty. Like, I, I, I get that. So because I know that, because I was all in, I had the t-shirt because of that, I'm going to go ahead and just boom, boom, boom your excuses that you have, that you might want to wiggle out, that something other than Jesus is going to make you righteous. And so the big idea, we're going to be in Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 320. Okay, that's a large text. So what that means is I'm going to be painting with a large brush. We're doing very broad strokes as we're coming through here. So as you're turning to the Romans, chapter 2, 17 through 320, uh, kind of the big idea that he's talking about here, writing to these believers, he says, listen, you need to know our knowledge and our nationality won't make us righteous. It just doesn't. You're going to sit there and say, what you know with the law and who we are, I'm part of the nation of Israel that's what makes me righteous. And he's going to say, no, it doesn't. And so here's his flow, what we're going to talk about, just kind of the plan. There's going to be two major objections, the knowledge aspect and the nationality aspect. And then it's really pretty fascinating. I hope that we see this. You, you get to see complaint or really, it's like a pity party. It's like a teenager who feels like they've been wrong and they just kind of go crazy. And then he's going to have a conclusion. And as I said already, and as you've heard the last couple of weeks in Romans, chapters 1, 2, and most of 3 is all this really heavy news because the best news is only the best news if we really understand the really, really hard news that we are all guilty. So with that, let's go ahead and, and, and dive in here. The first objection they're going to have, like, yeah, yeah, we're guilty, but listen, no, no, no. He knows we have the law. We know these things. Right knowledge, here it is. In chapter 2, verse 17, let's read. But if you call yourself a Jew, and just pause there for a second, Paul will refer to himself as a Jew, he'll refer to himself as a Hebrew, and as an Israelite all throughout. Usually when he's talking about a Hebrew, he's talking about his race. When he's talking about an Israelite, he's talking about his nationality. And when he's talking about a Jew, he's talking about his religion. And so he's talking here, if you call yourself a Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God, and you know his will and distinguish the things that matter, being instructed from the law, and, and you're confident that you yourselves are a guide to the people who are blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, possessing in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. 
Wow. He's like, you guys know it all, man. You guys got it going on. Like, pop the collar. You got the law. That's your excuse you're going to come back to. Like, we know all the right things. We can answer the Bible trivia better than anybody else. And that means that we're not quite as bad as anybody else. Sometimes we think that. We think that knowledge, for whatever reason, makes us more righteous. I know my parents did a great job of raising me, I, I believe, you know, of course. Uh, but they were constant uh, having us in church. They constantly did a great job of here's some quiet times, here's some material, like get familiar with the Bible, and it, and it sunk in. And so when I went away to college, um, I would meet other believers, and I was like, yeah, I just know a little bit more than you. I just know a little bit more. You, don't, you didn't know that story? You didn't know? Like, well, I kind of know that, you know? And so I was kind of puffed up with my knowledge. But kind of like G.I. Joe, the cartoon I used to watch as a kid, at the very end, they would have this thing, like, you need to know these things. And he would say, but knowing is only half the battle. Because righteousness is not about what you know. It is about what you do. You read with me here in 21 and following. After you guys, you know all this incredible stuff, but you, therefore, who teach somebody else, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one is not to steal, do you steal? You who say that one is to commit, not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who loathe idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking of the law, do you not dishonor God? You know the right things, but look at your history, look at your lifestyle, look at the things that you do. You may know the right things to do, but do you do the right things to do? Uh, I was a claims adjuster for a while. If you ever want to just like be yelled at a lot, that's a great job to have. Um, I, I got moved from non-injury, that's where you really get yelled at, to the injury claims. And I sat real close to the manager, so I always got to hear him come back and, and give different adjusters evaluations and you would call your name, you're like, Todd. And you're like, oh, okay, oh, man, this is not good. You sit down, he's like, I'm looking at your file here. And uh, it looks like you didn't send this letter when you're supposed to send the letter. What's up with that? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I, I know I should have sent the letter, I, I know. And he's like, if you knew, why didn't you do it? Like, if you knew, why didn't you do? And I'm like, oh, man, like, oh. Howard Hendricks had a better saying than that. He, uh, to know and not to do is not to know at all. And so Paul is saying, man, I know you guys. I know that one of the things you're going to say is we're just, we don't start at the same level as everybody else in chapter one. We're just a little bit better because we have the law. We have this incredible knowledge. We have our Bible trivia down. And because of that, we have some righteousness of our own. And Paul is saying, no, you don't. Not at all. Because it's not what you know. It's what you do. Oh, you can just hear them like, oh, well. Then they try to pivot, right? Because he knows they're going to pivot. He's like, okay, so the law doesn't make me righteous. But uh, listen, I'm part of God's special people. Let me give you another objection. Okay, so, so the law, that's fine. But, but listen, I'm one of the special people. I'm in the right group. God just loves us just a little bit more. And I've, I've got the mark of being in this right group. It's the mark of circumcision, 2.25. He says this, For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a violator of the law, your circumcision has turned into 
circumcision. Now, again, broad strokes we're painting with. Circumcision, it goes back into Genesis chapter 17. Uh, Abraham, selected by God, he's 99 years old. God shows up, says, hey, 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 you're having a child next year. It's going to be great. And here's what I need you to do, to, to mark your people, to, to, to let them know that they are set apart. You're going you're gonna to circumcise all of your males as they come out, and that's going to be the mark that you are the people of promise. And really, over time, the nation of Israel began to think, oh, circumcision has some magic power that automatically makes me God's special favorite one. And in reality, circumcision was this commitment from parents, right, that this child, we want to see them walk faithfully, and so they would have their child circumcised in the hopes that they would turn around and walk and follow and trust God and his promises. Did they always? No. But circumcision was the mark of a parent's hope that they would walk faithfully. It's a, it's a little bit like this. Um, I'm not an Aggie. I'm sorry to say. I know, thanks. Yep, yep. I love the Aggies. And just imagine this. Let's just say, though, that I go ahead and go, okay, I've got my Aggie shirt. Boom, got it. I got my Aggie shorts. Got it. Boom, got my Aggie hat. Boom, got it. I'm going to all the games. I know all the players' names. I know all the buildings' names. Like, I'm just, I hang out there all the time. I mean, I even get the Aggie Warhammer as my ringtone. You know, and I let it play when people call. I'm like, oh, you hear what's going on here? And, and I, I so much want to, to be a part of that. I go on eBay, and I find an old Aggie ring, class ring. And so I'm like, well, oh, yeah, I thank you. I know. Speaking your language. And I walk around having all of the marks of being an Aggie. And yet the reality is I'm not. Right? What makes me an Aggie would be actually attending Texas A&M University. Like that, that would be it. And so this idea of, of, of circumcision would be like parents dressing up their, their newborn infant in Aggie clothes and saying, Aggie, Aggie, Aggie. It's like, we want you to go this way. This is the best place to be. That's our, our desire for you. And as a child grows, they may have more and more shirts, but they might attend to decide to attend a lesser university elsewhere. <laughs> I didn't say which one. <laughs> but if they're still wearing the Aggie shirt, that does not make them an Aggie. Even though they have the mark, it does not mean that they're in. And what Paul is going to say is, it's not the external circumcision that makes you God's people. It never has been. It's always been about the heart always has been. God's people have always been people who have been circumcised of the heart, who are, who are set apart for him. It's not the physical marking. It's a heart issue, right? Like you, you remember uh, Samuel going to anoint uh, the next king after Saul, and he sees David's brother. First one comes up, and Samuel thinks, oh, he's it. And God stops him real quick and says, no, 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 Samuel, listen. Yeah, he may look right on the outside, but God does not look as man looks. He looks at the inside. He's looking at the heart. I'm looking for a man after my own heart. He's always been about the heart. And Paul picks up on this in, in verse 29. He says, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. 
And the circumcision is that of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, not just wearing the t-shirt. And his praise is not from people. Look at me, I've got the gear, but it's from God who sees the heart. And so they're sitting there saying, God, I'm not as bad as everybody else because I've got the law. I've got the knowledge. Yeah, no, that doesn't, it's knowing and doing. Oh, well, I, I'm part of your people. I got the mark. I'm wearing the T-shirt. Like, no, 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 it's about the heart. You're not more righteous because of your knowledge or your nationality is what he's saying. Now, move that forward to today, right? Many of us have grown up in Christian homes. Some of us haven't. Many of us have been either joyfully brought to church when we were younger or we were forced to come to church when we were younger or we went to youth group or college group. We had Bible studies. Uh, We would maybe have a a five-minute quiet time. We'd do a devotion. We would sometimes pray before dinner. Like, we've got all the marks. I'm righteous because of all these things. Aaron and I, uh, oftentimes, we will sit down with people and have lunch with them and grab coffee with them and We'll talk about just faith. Like, hey, what was life like for you growing up? Tell me about your family to go to church. Talk about religious things. And then we kind of get into harder conversations. Like, you know, I'm just, I've really been thinking about eternity lately. And, and all of us are going to pass at some point in time. And, and do you think you'd be in heaven when you were to, if you were to pass away right now? We're like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm really sure. Well, why? Well, my parents went to church. I went to church. Uh, I've read the Bible. I've got actually two different versions on my phone. Um, I sometimes uh, will show up on a Sunday morning and go to both college and big church. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm like, wow, okay. Is that the same standard that God is using? The answer is no. Aaron likes to say, well, if you walk into McDonald's and hang out there, do you become a hamburger? Like, just being around there, is, is that true? Or if you go stand in your garage, are you a car? Well, no, the same is true. If, if you're just having the rhythms of following Jesus, it doesn't mean that you've actually trusted Jesus. And so if you're trusting in your association with the church, that I've had perfect church attendance my entire life, that's not going to cut it. Because we're all guilty. We are all sinners. And we all stand way down here with no hope on our own. We see that what Paul is writing about to the Romans, hey, he's saying our knowledge and our nationality won't make us righteous. And to us today, if we were to bridge this over, our facts and our family won't make us righteous. And that's kind of upsetting, right? Think about the Israelite who is going, wait a second, all the things that I have trusted in, I've done the right things, I've got the mark, like, I'm it, and you're telling me that that this is just, it's it's not really true, that that I'm guilty, that I'm on the same playing field as the Gentiles, I'm on the same ones who just fully reject God. I mean, I've, I've been pretty good with most of my behavior some of the time. And they're gonna get really, really upset this notion that what they know about God doesn't save them and that belonging to the right family or the right church or the right Christian organization, that that doesn't save them. And they're going to respond. Uh, it's, man, they get really testy. 
because their core foundations of what they thought were true are being rocked. So they're going to get really defensive. There's going to be some blame shifting. Uh, They're going to try to distract with these outlandish claims, much like, again, much like a teenager who's been caught doing the wrong thing. Like, oh, you're right. Most are like, no, no, not even teenagers. Some adults do this. Some children do this. Like, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Like, what do you do? Like, okay, I'm found out I'm guilty. Well, you do this or you do that. Or, or, oh, this is just, what a waste, you know. It's your fault that I am this way. And we just start throwing out all these things, hoping to get the attention off of ourselves because we're offended that we've been found out that we're wrong. And Paul is going to use the logic that's already happening in all of the folks that he's writing to, that they're going to have these responses. And he's going to go ahead and, and introduce a character who's not a real character saying, here are your arguments, kind of like Brian did to me. There are better donuts. There are better donuts. There are cheaper donuts. Like, he's going to just go through and address these things. And so they're gonna, this complainer is going to show, show up. And the first thing we're going to say is like, oh, so it's just a waste. That's what you're telling me, Paul. It's all a waste. Having the law, knowing the law, all that time is just a big old waste. Oh, that's really great, Paul. But you might be sitting here. Sometimes people are like, well, what are you telling me? All my time in church, all my Bible knowledge, you know, all, the, all the Bible studies, all the memorization that I've done, all the facts and figures, my degrees, everything that I have, you're telling me it's just a waste? How dare you, Todd? You don't understand how righteous I am. It's not all a waste, is it? Listen to to what they say. Then what advantage does the Jew have, Paul? Or what benefit is circumcision, Paul? Seems like God's not fair, Paul. He did a bait and switch with us. So he says, oh, what benefit? Verse 2, great in every respect, having the law having the knowledge, knowing the facts, being a part of, of the nation of Israel with this history that is so rich where you've seen God move in big ways. What advantage? It's great in every way. First, uh, they were entrusted with the actual words of God. <laughs> like, you had a head start over everybody else. From the very word go, your parents have invested into you knowledge of the truth, knowledge of the Holy One. What advantage? Huge. It doesn't save you, doesn't make you righteous, but it puts you at a privileged position. Uh, He continues here in verse 3, says, what then if some some Jews did not believe, they said, hey, I know the facts and figures, but I refuse to trust God's promises, and I refuse to trust that all these things are pointing to Jesus. If, if I refuse that, and because of that I stand on my own works, I'm found guilty, does that mean that God is like unrighteous? Does that mean that he's unfaithful? What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? It's like, no, because the gospel is still preached to them. What advantage? Great advantage. You have a head start. You get to know who God is. You get to know his character. You have, a, you have an understanding of, of the standards that are so radically different than how the rest of the world lives. You have a huge head start. No, it does not make you righteous, but it gives you a head start. And if some of the people say, well, yeah, I see this stuff, but I reject that stuff, that doesn't mean that God's unrighteous. No, because he's still presenting the gospel to all of them. 
So is it a waste? No, it's a huge, huge benefit. He's faithful and he's fair. He's not wasting your time. He's actually giving you an advantage, a head start. Well, then they kind of go crazy and really preposterous. They're going to double down and, and explain this. Well, if sin then shows off, if my breaking of the law, if that shows off God's glory, it's not fair of him to judge me. I'm just helping him out. I mean, who is he to judge? He couldn't be glorified if I wasn't a hot mess. And so he can't judge me. I'm just helping him out. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 5. But if our, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not un unrighteous, is he? <laughs> it's, his, it's, it's his fault. He's the one who set the whole system up. He can't, like, judge me. <laughs> and then this logic, they just continue uh, the NIV, I think, captures this really well in, in 3.7. Some might even argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still called a sinner? Just helping him out. I don't know about you, but there are times when people go so far off the deep end with their excuses and their anger when they've been found out and they just start spouting things that are just ridiculous that you can't even, like, I don't understand how this all came around to be my fault. Literally, like, explain to me how, how that is. Like, this is just absurd. Your, your line of reasoning is just crazy. And that it's not even worth a response. And so what does Paul do in verse 8? Just... <laughs> Why not say, just as they slanders reported as some claim, let's do evil, that good may come of it. And then his response is just this, like, <laughs> the pride and arrogance of that, your condemnation is deserved. <laughs> trying to say that you know best, trying to say that, that your rebellion actually elevates who God is, like the arrogance of that statement and the absurdity that rebellion is good, what more evidence do you need to know that you aren't far from righteous? You're not looking for his glory. You're looking for an escape. And you're looking to blame anybody else but yourself because you know that you stand guilty. Those two things, when they wrap together, it is the way of God, the way that God works, is not fair. We're his special people. We are the exceptions, if you will. And Paul reminded them, yeah, well, God communicated y'all with his plan. He told you what his plan was. He told you what his purpose was. He did that. And he communicated what the standards of living were. And he's also communicated the fact that none of us, zero of us, could actually ever live up to them. And that is our problem. It is not his problem. And that's what they're trying to do. It's a little bit like this. Uh, a little humbling here. High school, I, I had a, a current event class. I think it was my junior or senior year. I don't really remember which it was. But our textbook was Time Magazine. And 20%, uh, they would give us some quizzes. 80% of our grade was we'd have to read through some controversial topic, and we'd have to stand and make a defense. We'd have to share an opinion of what we think about this. Half the people in the room, at least, wouldn't agree with us. And, and so we would have to give a defense, give our viewpoint. I was terrified of public speaking. I'm like, I never want to stand up in front of anybody and deliver bad news. 
God has a sense of humor. And so I refused. I, I knew 20% quizzes, got 100 on those. But 80% was me standing up and declaring. The standards were clear. I knew them, but I refused to do them because my fear was so great. My desire to please all people was so great that I just said, mm -mm, can't do it. And you know what happened in that class? <laughs> the teacher came over and he said, well, Todd, you know, you play some tennis and you've got a sweet mullet, you know, um, <laughs> like, and, and you do really good on, on that 20%. And, and you know what? I think we're just going to overlook. We're just going to overlook the fact that you haven't done 80% of the, of the work. It's, it's fine. You're my special person. Fist bump. Great. Like, no. Todd, you're going to fail. You are failing. So I got a parental signature to drop the class. <laughs> Run away. That's the way to handle things, right? The point being is my failure was not the professor's fault. The guilt was fully on me. And the same is true for the folks that he's writing to and us in this room. We all stand guilty, and it's really nobody's fault but our own. It is our problem, and that's heavy. So the conclusion that he comes to is this. Listen, y'all, you know we're all guilty. What then? Are, are we better than they? Like the objection, like, aren't we better Aren't we better because of the law? And aren't we better because our sin is, magnifies his glory? And aren't we better because we're the nation of Israel here, a special people? Aren't we better? And Paul says, no, not at all. We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. To speak his language a little bit more, we know that our knowledge and our nationality don't make us righteous. Speak it in our day, we know our knowledge, our biblical knowledge, the facts we know, and our family or our tie to a church or religious organization do not make us righteous. And then he does something really clever, because he's like, this is not news. It's been told to you all over the place, and there are a ton of Old Testament references here. So let me just read. Aren't we better than everybody else? We're special people. No, not at all. Join with me here in 310 and following. See, we're all under sin as it's written. There is no righteous person, not even one. It's written in your text. You guys know that already. You were boasting about knowing it. There is no one who understands. There is no one who even seeks out God. They have all turned aside together that they may become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The venom of asps is un under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. They have not known the way of peace. There's no fear of God before their eyes. He continues there. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law, none, nobody, will be justified in his sight. Because through that law comes only the knowledge of sin. Aren't we better? No. What he'd be saying to us is not our knowledge and our nation, our facts and our family won't make us righteous. But Christ can. You know, I, I think, A, how uncool it is that my text stops before we get to the hope, but I'm not going to leave us without some hope. But Paul, in the book of Romans, he wants us all to have the wind knocked out of us. We are all guilty. We are all broken. Our best deeds are but filthy rags before the Lord. And so if you are here today, and you sit there and say, well, God will let me in because I'm a good person, I'm here today because I have so much Bible information. God will let me in because I come from a great family. God will let me in because I've been able to correct everybody rightly in how they should live. If that has been what you have put your hope in, I want to encourage you to give up. Because you and I, we stand guilty. And there is a weighty punishment that comes with that. There are consequences. We can't wiggle our way out of that. It's uncomfortable, but it's true. And maybe you're like, no, no, I, I've trusted Christ, but maybe you've started to drift and you begin to think like there is a good reason why he loves me. You know, because <laughs> like I've memorized Colossians and Ephesians and I even got half of Revelation. And, and not only that, uh, I've really, I've mastered the, the, the Hebrew language. Like I've got it all together. It's, you know what? It's kind of crept in a little bit. I'm, I'm pretty good. Maybe you've drifted and you need to be reminded of, like, listen, all of that matters, not a hill of beans for your righteousness. That's why Jesus came. If you weren't aware of that, he came because only one could fulfill the law and it was him. And he did that. And what did he do? As he's like, hey, I'm perfect. I've done all things. Let me go ahead and take my position. Y'all are doomed. He says, no, I so loved you. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe. That's the incredible thing about grace that we really don't have a category to put that in. Not whoever would attend church enough, memorize enough scripture, not give enough to the church, but whoever would just trust and say thank you that person their punishment has fallen fully unto Jesus and because of that we can sing those incredible songs about how great his faithfulness is because it's his faithfulness that holds us it's a beautiful thing and so I just encourage maybe today is the day that you realize like man you know what I have been putting all of my hope I've been putting all all of my righteousness has been right around my church attendance. It's always been about my, my, my really trying hard to be the, the best person. I would just encourage, like, can you just give up? Maybe today is the day that you just say, 
I'm done trying to sit there and say, I am really, really super righteous, and instead, I just trust you, Lord, just thank you. Because that's where Paul is going with this. Next week is going to be a very technical, beautiful opportunity for us to see um, about the, really the beauty and the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us. But as we wrap up, let me just review a few of the places that we went to. Paul knows his audience. He knows the two objections. I know enough, and I'm related to the right people enough to be acceptable to God. I'm just not quite as bad as everybody else. And he says, oh, yeah, you are. They have a, a huge fit. It brings the conclusion that you were all, we are all guilty. None can make us righteous except for Christ. And so I encourage you, celebrate the beauty of that. So our application this week out of this kind of Debbie Downer <laughs> message in a way, I encourage you, take some intentional time and reflect. What are you really trusting in to fix your brokenness? What is it? What truly are you looking in that, that says, ah, is it your knowledge? Is it your, your attendance? Or do you keep coming back and going, wow, it's my faith and dependence upon Christ. He loved me, and it's his faithfulness that holds me celebrate. And I encourage you, then rejoice. The magnitude and the freedom of God's grace, because, because we're saved by grace, that means even as we begin to walk with him, we trip up, we're not gone. We're his forever, and that's worth rejoicing. And then I encourage us, we're, we're called to be in community. Share. If this has ever been a struggle of yours where you've sat there and, and been like, man, yeah, intellectual pride has been a thing of mine. Or yeah, I've really, I've, I've always been tempted to go back and, and trust my church attendance to be just a little bit more holy, to prove everybody else I'm a little bit more holy than what they are. If you've struggled with that and God has convicted you of that, man, confess, but then really share that with your children, with your spouse, with your friends. Talk about it. Those should be joyful conversations because the gospel brings great joy. Romans brings the best news ever that you have a God who loves you so much he sent his one and only son to die for you. But it starts with the worst news, which is we are all unrighteous and there's nothing that can change that except for Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we've had together. I thank you that uh, you have, have given us life, Lord. I thank you that you, um, you love us enough to speak truth. You love us enough to have us like, just have our idols exposed of, of knowledge and our idols exposed of church attendance. And, and you love us enough to say that doesn't work. And so, Father, I pray for each of us this morning that we would just stand in awe of who you are. And we wouldn't sit there and go like, oh, what a mess I am. We would never just stop with that because that's a horrible place to live. We get our eyes off of ourselves and onto you and walk in the beauty the grace of God. We absolutely love you.